A really warm welcome to the latest Clear Cruise podcast. My name's Andy Harmer and I'm your host for this month's episode and it is quite an episode. Really packed with some great insights and great information reflecting I think the fact that Cruise Restart is underway in many parts of the world uh, making our industry busier than ever. So coming up in this uh, month's episode I chat to Edwina Lonsdale. She is the Managing Director of Monday Cruising, which was one of the UK's first ever dedicated cruise travel agents. Uh, And she'll be chatting all about Restart, as well as a focus on some of those niches, uh, such as River Cruise and Expedition. Talking of Expedition, I'm also chatting to Tan Pilkington. He is part of the Expedition team at Aurora Expeditions. And Tan joins me all the way from New Zealand. But first, I was chatting to Brian Salerno. He is the Senior Vice President of Maritime Policy at Clear, based in North America. And I chatted to Brian all about some of the new health measures that the industry has developed over the past 12 months. Enjoy this month's podcast and we'll see you again very soon. I'm delighted to be joined by a true expert from CLEAR, and that's Brian Salerno, Senior Vice President, CLEAR Global Maritime Policy. Thank you for joining us, Brian. Um, We've been talking recently about the CLEAR member policy, which is a whole set of health measures. Would you just tell us how that came about, please? Certainly, Andy, and uh, thanks for inviting me to be here today. our policies were a um, result of multiple efforts, uh, many of them undertaken by government agencies, uh, some by the industry themselves. The earliest was clearly the EU Healthy Gateways, which you know, undertook the effort on behalf of the European Commission to look at how best to make sure that entry, points of entry were, were healthy. Uh, fortunately, the EU Healthy Gateways invited industry participation in that effort, and you know, CLIA and its member lines participated in that, and resulted in, I think, a very, very comprehensive set of guidelines. Uh, a similar effort was undertaken by um, uh, EMSA, the European Maritime Safety Agency, again, with similar invitation for indus- industry support. But also the cruise lines within CLIA initiated uh, a number of efforts as well. Here in the US, for example, there was a, an effort called the Healthy Sail Panel, which brought together leading medical experts, epidemiologists, virologists, um, public health experts, and they were given a great deal of autonomy to advise the cruise industry you know, throughout the, you know, the, the entire process of a cruise, you know, what should be done, you know, what would make it, it, it safe. A similar effort was done in Europe uh, by one of our member lines, MSC, where they brought together you know, similar you know, high-level um, experts uh, in medicine and public health you know, to advise their efforts, and which allowed them to resume very early on. Uh, and of course, the effort that you're very familiar with in the UK, with yeah. the, the effort with UK Chamber of Shipping, which resulted in a uh, very well thought out framework that was presented to Department of Transport. And after very careful deliberations, now have, we have a pathway uh, for limited resumption uh, in, in the UK. So ultimately the CLIA policy drew from all of these efforts uh, and created something for global application, which now all our members would follow uh, worldwide. Uh, but because of all of those interactions, we have a policy that's very consistent with uh, with these other efforts. 
Now, a lot of people um, ask the question around what the guest experience will be like. And I know that it's clear we talk about very much from the moment the booking is taken all the way through that experience. But can you maybe signal some of the key things that guests may notice as part of their cruise experience where these health, health protocols are in, in practice? Well, uh, the, the protocols begin um, really at the time of booking. So that would be the first encounter that most people have uh, with, with these new requirements. And that would include such things as uh, health advice, making sure that uh, passengers are aware of what health authorities are recommending, you know, whether it's you know, pre-existing conditions or age-related. Uh, there'd be advice on what to expect regarding testing. Uh, will a test be required before you leave home? Will it be administered you know, at the dock you know, before you get on board the ship? It, that may vary depending on your location in the world. But the one thing that is certain is there will be a test right. uh, getting on board. Um, and then, then, of course, even arrival at the terminal, you know, what to expect there. Uh, many cruise lines are staggering the arrivals so as to ensure you know, proper social distancing. You know, so if everyone shows up at once, that's obviously much more difficult to do. But if it's staggered, uh, it becomes a, a much simpler process. So that's even just getting to the ship. Right. Uh, and then of course, getting once, once you're on the ship, quite a few differences there as well. Um, many of the uh, procedures we're used to following on shore now, whether you go to a restaurant or you know, a theater or you know, any, any um, event where there's, you know, it's a congregated setting, there's a lot of people, you know, we follow social distancing, we wear masks. You can expect the same types of precautions on board a ship. That's in our protocols. That's that's now required uh, uh, to sail on a ship. Uh, so anyone who doesn't want to do those things probably would want to spend their time elsewhere. But there's plenty of people who are willing to to follow those very simple precautions. Uh, the experience on board will be a little different again because you know the you know the, the settings on board would be limited in their density. Uh, but uh, the, a lot of what they would would uh, benefit from would be even transparent to them. You know, the enhanced sanitation measures on board yeah. are, are going to be um, quite elevated compared to you know, anything in the past. Uh, more contactless interactions, even key entry um, purchases and stores for many lines. And again, there's a lot of variation between lines, but a lot of efforts gone into technology that would limit uh, the amount of times you have to touch a surface. Uh, buffets may look a little different, because again, obviously you don't want to be handling um, uh, the same um, utensils, you know, person to person. So that's going to be managed a little bit differently. Uh, but overall it's, you know, the level of, of um, protection would be enhanced, but the cruise experience should still be a very, very pleasant one, uh, very enjoyable one, uh, despite all of these changes. Yeah, I'm sure we're all looking forward to getting back on board soon um, and, and, and seeing some of these protocols in action. Just one final question, because I'm conscious of time. Um, if there is a case found on board, then presumably there's a very clear and worked out plan that comes into operation. Absolutely. Uh, the cruise lines will have an outbreak uh, management plan, you know, that will detail exactly how they would respond to a case of this nature. Now, part of the, the policy is that there be locations on board where people can uh, be placed in quarantine uh, or isolation if necessary to limit the spread. And then all of the personal protection protocols that go along with that to make sure that there is no spreading. 
we also you know, have a part of the policy, you know, enhanced uh, ventilation procedures as well, so that you know, it minimizes the likelihood of transmission just through the air. Uh, a lot of work is, uh, or a lot of effort has been done to elevate the capabilities of the medical facilities on board. And for people who weren't aware of this, yeah. ships have had hospitals and trained medical staff for years. So it's a unique aspect of cruising that you know, when, you, when you go on a cruise, you have a medical capability right with you uh, at all times. Um, it's a, it's a lot of re- it provides a lot of reassurance to travelers you know, to know that that's there. But that's been elevated uh, in its capabilities to specifically to deal with COVID. Uh, taking that a step further, there are uh, there is a lot of effort put into uh, making arrangements at uh, destination stops and at home ports for medical care ashore and the logistics to transfer people. Uh, to that medical care. Even though you have far um, greater capability to treat a patient today on a cruise ship than been the case a year ago, um, the objective will always be to get them to uh, a a suitable location ashore. So having those arrangements made ahead of time with the proper proper authorities and with the right facilities is vitally important. Um, But that too is part of the overall uh, program of, of how cruising is resuming. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing kind of a, a quick snapshot of what the member policy covers. There's more details on cruising.org, of course. And thank you for all of the work over the past 12 months to get us to where we are today. But thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. So, Tan, thank you so much for joining us. I've got so many questions for you, but I know it's uh, the, the completely opposite side of the day to you. But So I'll try and keep it brief. Um, but your work history, you've been a heli ski guide, a climbing guide, an avalanche risk assessor. I mean, it all sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, so what, what, how, how on earth have you ended up with this, this great career? Uh, yes, good morning from New Zealand, Andy. Um, I get asked that quite a lot about um, why I chose a particular path in life and um it started very early on when I was at university. I actually did train in something else completely different. I was training to be a park ranger and um, work in national parks. So, yeah, I was destined for a, an outdoors life of some type or another. And at university, as you do, you start hanging out with various people and came across a bunch of climbers. And um, from there, I started knocking around the mountains more and more, which led to my first job in the late 80s as a glacier guide on the west coast of New Zealand. Um, Some of your listeners may be familiar with the glaciers that plunge out of the Southern Alps down to low levels into the rainforest. So it was really the um, uh, area that I started in and it, it ignited my passion for the mountains and one job led to another. So I've stayed in the industry and I'm now in my mid-50s. And you should give us a, a preview because you live in a place called Queenstown in New Zealand, which already sounds way more glamorous than, than many towns in the UK. But if you were to step out of your door, are you surrounded by mountains and amazing scenery? Queenstown uh, is in the South Island, the south of the South Island in uh, the Southern Lakes District. Um, so yes, uh, you look out the 
the window and walk out onto the front lawn and you're surrounded by mountains uh, between 1500 meters and 2000 meters high um, snow cap for half the year We've got beautiful lakes and rivers so you know I was drawn here because it's really an adventure playground so plenty of like-minded people and adventure on your doorstep so um, I've been here 30 years wow. and it's just a fantastic place to work and live it, it sounds amazing. I've never been to New Zealand. It sounds amazing. It's definitely on my list of places to visit when we're all able to travel a bit more. So I look forward to that. But the other thing, I guess, um, you talked about adventure, and I guess expedition cruising is in many ways a bit of an adventure in itself. And when many people think of expedition cruising, they think of Antarctica. And you've obviously been many times there. But what's it like? What was your first trip there like? I often think of my first trip, which I remember very well because it left a, a big impression in my life. It was back in 2004 and, um, you know, your, your dream of going to Antarctica as a guide and, you know, personally it's a place that um, holds many attractions uh, for many different reasons and the first trip did not disappoint it was just so amazing so overwhelming it was we had ex exceptional weather we had um heavy ice conditions so it really felt like we were you know adventuring uh into antarctica as, as you really imagine it and um great crew great uh group of clients and i just had the best time so that started the addiction and of course my uh, ongoing career with the Aurora Expeditions as a climbing and ski guide. And it, and is it like nowhere else on Earth? You're obviously well travelled. You've been to many places. Is is there anything like Antarctica? No. Um, you, you know, you can travel to the Arctic, for example. You can travel to parts of Alaska. Uh, Patagonia and sure there's similar landscapes you've mountains with glaciers and things but when you combine the wildlife uh, which is obviously unique to uh, Antar the Antarctica and the Antarctic Peninsula that's mm. what makes it unique so um, it's quite quickly it was quite quickly apparent to me that um, I was very drawn to the wildlife and um, those interactions we have each day with um, whales, penguins, seals, seabirds, um, it's just overwhelming. It really is. That's what makes Antarctica so special for me and I'm sure for, for many other people. And, and a lot of people when they think about Antarctica, they don't think about the wildlife, but I guess, and you've you've kind of run off a few of the, the wildlife and the bird life you can see is it is it a rich continent for for, for wildlife yeah particularly where um we run a lot of the trips on the peninsula itself um we go to places where animals are going to be found in, in great numbers particularly the penguin colonies um but you can't forget that as soon as you leave Argentina from Ushuaia or another port out of Chile or something, you're going to start seeing uh, dolphins, um, seabirds that will accompany you all the way uh, through to the peninsula. 
and then of course in the outer islands we'll start seeing penguins etc etc so it really starts from the moment you get on the ship and doesn't really finish until you get yeah. off the ship um so you know I've, I've been very lucky to have some amazing interactions given the number of trips that i've done down there but i always find the um, best interactions and the most um, impressionable ones are the ones that occur out of the blue. You're not expecting them. You know, you'll be having dinner or you'll just simply be on the deck and then you'll see humpbacks um, breaching and things like that. And maybe the sun's low in the sky and you'll think, how, did, how on earth did I make it here to experience this? Yeah. Um, it really is, yeah, it's mind-blowing. I have so many questions and we only have so much so much time but I just want to ask you because I know you're going to hang around for a bit and we're grateful for that particularly because it's early in the morning for you but um, Aurora, you mentioned Aurora Expeditions they obviously do a lot of things on land a lot of kind of activities on land so uh, what kind of activities can you do because it doesn't sound like the kind of place where there is a, a great deal to do. The uh, company Aurora Expeditions um, has been around a long time, so it's a long-term player in the market, and it was uh, brought into existence by uh, Greg Mortimer and his wife Margaret, and they really carried on their ethos of travel, uh, which was adventure. And you know, I've really bought into their style of adventure that Aurora Expeditions has continued to to drive. That is. You know, no matter who you are, Antarctica, South Georgia and the Arctic are all adventures. So we cater to all types of people. And that's why we've got a, a breadth of um, various products, particularly in, from what I'm involved in, which is um, everything from just uh, walks on glaciers to climbing to ski mountaineering to crossing South Georgia on ski and foot to snowshoeing so we've got a whole raft of activities and then you can couple that with the other activities on water that's kayaking um, we now have uh, snorkeling so yeah there's a there's a lot to participate in and that again it's all about interacting more with the environment rather than being a shipbound passenger who who looks from the ship or goes ashore you've got other options just to up the ante in terms of how you interact with the with the environment right we're gonna we're gonna come back and talk about some of those things because i'm already fascinated to understand what some of them mean but um so stick around grab a coffee we will be back chatting to you in a in a couple of minutes time So delighted to be joined by Edwina Lonsdale. You are not only a, a veteran of the cruise industry and expert in all things cruising, you're also managing director of Monday Cruising. Uh, Edwina, how are you? How has the last 12 months been? Well, not so happy with the veteran. <laughs> 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 Trying to stay young and fit. <laughs> um, I'm good, thank you. Yes. Very, very positive today. This is an exciting reopening day uh, with lots of good news. It's sunny. I'm back in the office. There's more wonderful news about the resumption of cruising. And so I've got my mojo back. I have to say it hasn't been every single day in the last year. There have been some days where 
you really have to push yourself to find the positivity. And I do laugh at myself at the naive self that I was 12 months ago when I said, oh, don't you worry. I said to my staff, we, we keep a lot of cash in the business. We'll be fine. We can hold out till December as if that was just beyond possibility. Yeah. <laughs> We were all very, all very naive in those early days, I think. But um, yeah, the exactly. team as well. All fine, actually. Um, some of them returning to the office now, uh, looking for the camaraderie and the mutual support that you get from being in that team, but also very geared up on the uh, regular Zoom meetings and. Uh, yeah, really supporting each other. It's been it's been fantastic in that respect. The way in which uh, our our various teams have have really gone all out to, to support each other and uh, and keep that energy going. Some silver linings amongst all of the um, the terrible year, and it has been a terrible year for the wider travel industry, of course, as well as cruise. But um, how have your customers been? Were they similarly optimistic early on and are they looking forward to traveling again? They've been very interesting. I mean, they've one thing that we decided right at the start of the last lockdown was, okay, our role now is to know what's happening. So to be able to communicate everything that's happening, to be the absolute experts, and also to be the bearers of positivity and to keep our clients' spirits up because that uh, mood is, is everything, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I was reading something actually quite recently about uh, booking a holiday, the fact that booking a holiday lifts your spirits even more than actually going on the holiday. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that whole time of planning and discussing and uh, uh, looking into alternatives and so on is really, really important. And because our whole business model depends on that type of relationship between our cruise consultants and our clients, that sort of played into our hands over the last year. So despite the fact that, that you know, there hasn't been any travel, that uh, that opportunity to to build our relationships with our clients, to talk them through what's going on, to to tell them the latest news, uh, the regulations, what's happening in the states, what's happening in the UK, the wonderful stuff that the cruise industry is doing. I mean, there's been some really positive messages, um, but also to gear them up for what they're going to do next because they're sick to get to death. Of being at home um, and they suddenly realize that you can't just take it for granted that you can always go whenever wherever you want and whenever you want uh, and therefore all that stuff which is oh well at some point later on we're going to do so and so and so and so has now suddenly become oh my god I need to go and do those things that I've always wanted to do so we're seeing a lot of dreaming going on uh, and actually, because they haven't been spending for the last year, that dreaming can quite easily be turned into reality. So since the first announcement about the vaccines in November, we've well, our new business coming in has been really strong. It's been great. Yeah. 
And do you get a sense that people are looking for those bucket list kind of uh, dream destinations or are they looking for close at home because of that? You know, we've, we've not been very far away from home for the last 12 months. So are they looking no. for that reassurance? We assumed that, that, that they would want close, close to home. When we started uh, doing uh, questionnaires and surveys to our clients, well, last summer really, uh, we were asking those close to home questions thinking, oh, well, obviously they're going to want to stay close to home. That has never been the case. Oh, wow. And uh, the more time has passed, the less they've wanted to be close to home. We assumed that they would want XTK, first of all, they wouldn't want to fly. But even if they were going to go a little bit further, then they'd like the med and they'd go on the train or they'd go on a car. But no, they don't seem to have thought of that at all. Having said that, I think they will, in addition to their big plans, uh, if, there's, if there aren't any other options, take advantage of these lovely close-to-home options that we're seeing uh, being launched now um, and actually go on ships that maybe they wouldn't normally go on uh, just, just to get away. Because actually, if you're going to go and stay in, uh, in Cornwall or in in Wales or whatever, then actually you might as well go on a lovely ship, mightn't you, and uh, be comfortable and looked yeah. after just as just as you like to imagine that yeah. your real life is coming back soon. <laughs> <laughs> and it is slowly. It is. It is. Um, in terms of destinations, are there any that are surprising you, or any that you've not seen sort of such interest for? Uh, so we certainly are seeing the iconic destinations being of interest so a lot of australia new zealand uh, a lot of expedition interest as you would expect the poles the galapagos um but also a lot of interest in what where else they can go completely off the beaten track and away from and of course there are so many other places you can go yeah. um so people are very interested in what those might be which is lucky because with all those expedition ships coming into service this year um there are there are form, far more opportunities out there for people and and of course they are the first they're going to be the first in the breed of luxury expedition ships so exciting times really for that yeah and, um, and then i suppose closer to home yeah nile cruise very very interested in in doing egypt or doing india all those yeah all those things that uh, that you've got on your list. Yeah, and so and we've talked about expedition cruising and the growth in interest in expedition cruising over the past few years. And do you think this has helped fuel that kind of interest in it? Or obviously it was going to grow anyway, but do you get a sense well, that it's those Actually fascinating uh, news from our, from our marketing, because we've kept on marketing all the way through the mm. lockdown. Uh, and unsurprisingly, uh, from lockdown onwards, we've seen actually the pattern of visitors to the website, to the Monday Cruising website, more or less mirror exactly the, the graphs about infection rates. Right. So, you know, as the infection rates go up, people stop looking at the website and stop searching. But for Monday Adventures, our expedition website, it has continued to grow. I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's tracking ahead. 2019 all through right. 2020 so absolutely amazing and of course we've always expected that to be a much longer earlier purchase time you know over a year in advance people are buying so that people have the confidence to look at that but um 
Yeah, I think a lot of things are playing into it. First of all, as we've said, the iconic destinations, but also the 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 uh, uh, the focus on getting away from the crowds and getting away from people at all, actually. Um, so yeah, I think I think this is going to be. I mean, the the whole um, pandemic is is an opportunity for tourism over tourism to be addressed. So for destinations to reinvent themselves to take another look at how they want to present themselves uh, in terms of their their tourist visitors. And um, it's all going to be about quality, not quantity. Uh, you also mentioned river there because the Nile has again been one of those destinations that we've seen a lot of interest in over the past couple of years. Is Does river fall into a similar category as expedition? Uh, I think river is, no, I think it's, I think it's different. I yeah. think uh, I think there is a lot of interest in river, and people feel that uh, it's it's quite accessible to them. Uh, the interesting thing has been the uh, the fact that UK passengers, as a rule, felt that river was a, a one week trip. So whilst we see the Australians come over and stay on the rivers for four weeks, and the Americans do pre and post, the 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 Brits think well I can go and do that for a week for a little second holiday whereas now what we're seeing is uh, an increased interest on and in that whole well what can I combine with this to make it extra special um, and and how can I add stuff on so for example if you look for what Amma's doing for example uh, in Europe they just launched their their so-called world cruise their multi-cruise <laughs> Uh, opportunity which has gone really really well mm. uh, and then in in Egypt so they do their Cairo and Nile cruise but they've also got the opportunity to pre and post with Jordan and Israel so yeah you're seeing lots and lots of that sort of combo um, and then further afield obviously you've got the you've got the, the, the Mekong and the Indian rivers and so forth but, um, yeah great, great for combos too good good um We've we've talked a lot about the last twelve months. In terms of the next twelve months, are you are you an optimistic person about travel and cruise and all of those things in the next next year? I am really yes. I mean, uh, I'm uh, I'm loving what's happening now. Yeah. Um. Actually, I've loved what the cruise industry has done all the way through. I've spoken about it before, but but that um, uh, focus on really grasping the problem, addressing it, working out how to, to, to make it work, how, you, how they're going to bring passengers on back, back in the future has been absolutely great, alongside an awful lot that we've seen in the UK of how do we get around these rules. Do you know, it doesn't make any sense. You don't want to get around the rules. You want to make things safe for people. Um, and actually, that's been the slightly irritating thing, hasn't it, about the advisory from the UK government, as if by lifting the advisory, all of a sudden, willy-nilly, all the cruise lines are going to start operating again. That's obviously not going to happen. They're going to operate when it's safe to operate. The last thing they want is an outbreak on board the ship. Yeah. But what they have done is really grasped that uh, and addressed it in the way that no other sector of the travel industry has done. So that, in the first place, is really positive. I think the fact that um, we're getting all this 
etk stuff even if it's not quite what i was talking about earlier you know the expedition the long distance the iconic what that will do is give the cruise lines the opportunity to learn the lessons they need to learn about how to operate safely and uh, also make it a fantastic passenger experience but also work with the ports the local ports so that they can uh, take the, what they've learned to other ports that are considering reopening or other countries that so everybody can work out how that's going to work best and actually that collaborative attitude has been one of the most positive things of all in this whole of the last year the way in which different parts of the uh, tourist industry have worked together it's been lovely to see yeah, it's been extraordinary in many ways, but some some positives, some silver linings as well. Um, in terms of your next trip, I'm sure you're not going to tell us where you're going or when, but what kind of trip are you looking forward to making this year? Uh, well, I was supposed to be in France in June. I don't know whether I will be. We'll see. <laughs> Anywhere would do. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere nice <laughs> and overseas. One of my absolute favourites always uh I've, I've spoken before about the med and loving the med but actually above all greek islands yeah and it looks like the greek islands is very positive very promising for this for this year so yeah maybe that's for this summer that'll do i'll see you there yeah. we can we can have yeah. a dinner on a taverna or something like that but uh, oh, how lovely uh, wishing enough. you wishing you the best of luck for 2021 thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll catch thank up with you again soon Thanks. Thanks, Andy. It's been great. So my special guest is still here, still drinking coffee at this hour of the morning. Uh, so, Tan, thank you for, for sticking around. We were chatting before about some of the activities that you can get up to in Antarctica. You mentioned polar skiing, and I was curious exactly what that means, because presumably these aren't ski resorts as we'd know them in the European sense. No, you're quite right. Uh, for one thing, there's no lifts. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's all person-powered. Um, and so just to clarify what we mean by yeah. uh, you, you see polar skiing, um, we call it ski touring. Um, and basically guests who have sufficient ski and snowboarding experience um, can join us for... Uh, an experience on the snow and um, just to frame what ski mountaineering is it's the fastest growing uh, part of the ski industry a lot of people are taking to the backcountry using specialist equipment uh, skis that allow you to climb uphill using a adhesive skin and uh, snowboarders are not left out here because you can buy specialist snowboarding equipment that splits into essentially two skis and allows them to climb up the hill. So in a in a you know very condensed version, we use the skis to get us to elevation to allow us to look deeper into the Antarctic environment. And um, there is of course the um, thrill of skiing and riding back down. So you know it really appeals to people who've got that adventurous background but who also want to interact with the animals because when we Zodiac um, ashore in our specialized boats, we carry all the ski equipment. We're dressed quite often in our ski and snowboarding boots. 
climb out of the zodiac and there's a penguin colony right. and uh you know that really makes your ski and snowboarding experience somewhat different to skiing in the european alps so we um leave the shore and climb up for sometimes up to three to four hours but often one to two that gets us to a high point sometimes onto a peak and we'll descend back down to see the penguins we left a few hours previously so um you know being a long-term skier myself um i think it's a fantastic way for you know those adventurous people who love skiing and want to just add that extra dimension to their antarctic trip you talked about people who are adventurous and and this sounds actually like something that people very adventurous would want to take up but and this is the 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 repeat of the shackleton's 1916 crossing across uh across south georgia so tell us a bit about that experience i know it's something that aurora expeditions have offered for a long time so we traveled to south georgia um and we aim to pretty much retrace um, the Shackleton's party um, route across South Georgia, starting in King Hark and, uh, um, and ending up um, in Stromness. Uh, we do it over three days. Um, but of course, we have the benefit of uh, all the modern equipment and uh, great weather forecasts and um and uh, support from a ship so yes it's still quite a full-on adventure it's one of the most remote islands on earth um you know we take it very seriously with a high level of safety um mm. however we offer it to people with you know moderate amounts of mountaineering and skiing experience so it's not you know you don't you're not people who are uh hardcore mountaineers or skiers um guides that we employ take care of you and guide you across uh, you just need that adventurous spirit and you know suitable background and just back on the skiing um yeah. you know the company is all about inclusivity so um for the ski touring for example we don't require you to have previous ski touring experience we do require you of course to have um you know a reasonable level of skiing you know right. advanced and above but uh the guides are there to teach you we're used to guiding people and we've had quite a few people on trips who've never ski toured before and we can show you how to get around and you just do the skiing part um honestly i i've never skied either there's a whole list of things i haven't done that's coming out in this conversation today um yeah. on the, um we've uh, we we've talked a lot about antarctica but um uh an aurora expeditions are planning an expedition voyage in december is that right this coming december yeah yes well with the current world situation all plans are um you know fluid you could say um so yeah we'll look at the situation closer to the time and and see what what you know how the world's looking yeah no absolutely um in terms of you mentioned the arctic early on and i know the arctic is very different to antarctica but it, is there more plans there for mountaineering for example or, or what's the how, how does that experience differ 
Well, the Arctic, of course, is um, has very similar environments to uh, Antarctica. The wildlife is uh, very different. Yeah. And uh, having travelled there, I think three years ago, we ran a rock climbing trip to Greenland. Um, again, it was an experience for me to to see a, a whole lot of wildlife I've never experienced. Again, overwhelming locations. Uh, Svalbard, Spitsbergen, Greenland, just the most amazing places. And um, the scope for mountaineering, um, rock climbing, uh, alpine trekking is, is huge. So um, we already have a product in Greenland where we're um, scaling rock faces. Uh, we're planning to um, introduce alpine trekking. And of course, mountaineering can be dovetailed into those options as well. So um, the sky's the limit, really, and um, we're just looking forward to developing all those those products over time. We've we've all missed travelling over the past twelve months or so, and I'm sure you've missed travelling as as much as anybody, and certainly going to some of these amazing places that Aurora Expeditions visits. But is there somewhere you're most looking forward to seeing or returning to? Yes, it's South Georgia. South Georgia is um, just the most unique place on earth I've ever visited. And you're, you're right, I've traveled a lot. Yeah. But in terms of uh, being a place that leaves you with um, everlasting impressions, South Georgia's that place for me. The mountains are absolutely amazing. You've got an island smack bang in the South Atlantic with massive towering glaciated peaks um the wildlife you see there is like nowhere else um just such huge concentrations of amazing penguins and seals um the, the combination is incredible beautiful islands offshore with wonderful seabirds often massive icebergs uh, surrounding the island and um you know, getting there itself, I always believe, is part of the adventure because you can't fly there. You have to take the ship, and that is two and a half days from the Falklands or the peninsula. So you, you sort of earn your stripes getting there because um, the seas aren't always friendly in that part of the world. And and just quickly, because I'm very conscious of time, but just quickly, you, you mentioned a lot about the wildlife and the bird life and all of those amazing uh, things that you get to to see in some of these places is there is there a particular species that you really have loved and fallen in love with do you love a penguin for example or is there or are there other types that you you've missed uh yes andy i have loved the penguin <laughs> <laughs> uh back on south georgia uh there's the king penguin which is uh, it's a quite a large penguin when you compare them to their offsiders um, further south on the peninsula. So um, on most people, they would be sort of mid-thigh to hip height, and they've got the most beautiful colorings. They're very inquisitive. Um, they can be in huge concentrations. Uh, I can think of a couple of places in particular, St. Andrew's Bay and Gold Harbour, where there's just thousands and thousands of these beautiful king penguins um, 
lined up on the beaches with the backdrop of glaciers and mountains. It's it's staggering to see. Sounds amazing. And listen, your stories uh, today have been absolutely wonderful to hear. We can't wait to share some more stories or pictures or whatever next time. And I, you know, one of those, you're, I guess you're one of those people with so many stories, you'd be great to share a beer with when the bars are open and we're traveling again. So thank you for your time today. We look forward to seeing you at some point on a ship, but thank you very much for your time. Okay, thanks Andy. <laughs>